Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 264, Sequels We Wish They'd Make. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, good news, Derek. I, I'm actually back to work. Not that I'm crazy or anything, but uh, I really do love my job. But uh, but not only that, it means that we're when I, once I get back to work, we're back on a regular schedule around here. You know, we uh, we just want to keep putting out a, a new show every week. That's our that's our goal. I know it's really hard for us to do that in, in the summer, but now that we're back to our normal routine, eh, it should be good to go. And uh, this week, we're going to take a look at some sequels that we wish got made. We'll each do a top five list of sequels we'd like to see. But before we get to that, Derek, my friend, what is new in the world of pop culture for you? Hey, Chris, uh, glad to be back. And I want to say the fact that you're back to work doesn't mean we're all back to work because I'm actually on vacation this week. <laughs> nice. But I'm not a teacher, so I don't get the whole summer off. So all good. All good. We are we are where we are. So uh, it's great to be back uh, because the summer has happened. I think we both had a lot of downtime and I think we both had opportunities to take in various forms of pop culture. Myself, I have a very long list, which I'm going to try to narrow down to just five picks this week so that I can talk about them. Uh, unfortunately, no documentaries, but all very strong picks. Everything I'm going to talk about today, I loved. Some Good. more than others. Okay. All right. So, and they're all relatively new. Of so course, the first one, That's your job. First one's from this year, 2023, mm-hmm. stars Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt. And it's a vampire movie called Renfield, where Nicholas Holt is like uh, familiar to Nicolas Cage, who is Dracula. And it was actually way better than it had any right to be. It was a lot of fun. It's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage as a vampire, which honestly, I always thought he kind of looked like a vampire in real life anyway. And it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. Aquafina has a pretty big role in it as well as the female lead. And uh, it's available, I want to say, on Amazon. It dropped in the last week or two. Again, it didn't sc- it didn't do great in the box office. It didn't score amazing reviews on IMDb or anything. But it was a lot of fun. It was 90 minutes. Um, it, it's one of those sort of guilty pleasure movies where I think down the road I'm going to watch it again and be like, I like this more than I should. But no, I really enjoyed it. So Renfield on Amazon. You're looking for something just fun for 90 minutes. You're a Nicolas Cage fan. Take a look. Right. Then I went back to 2003 and I watched the Oscar winning movie Mystic River starring Sean Penn oh, and uh, uh, what's his name? Tim Robbins, mm-hmm. both of whom won Academy Awards for this movie directed by Clint Eastwood. I So a little background on Mystic River came out in 2003. My brother and I went and saw this in the theater the weekend it came out and the last 10 minutes of the movie, when we saw it in the theater, the audio broke down. So we got to see the last 10 minutes, but we didn't get to hear the last 10 minutes. And the movie runs almost two hours, almost two and a half hours. So we watched. I mean, you sort of get what's going on. You don't need to hear the dialogue. You, you get a, a sense of how it ends. But we sort of looked at each other and we're like, do we feel we need to pay another 10 bucks to go see this again to get those last 10 minutes? He's like, no, no, I got it. We're good. I'm like, maybe we'll go rent it when it comes out on video. Yeah, we never did. So 20 years later, (laughs) I watched Mystic River this week, finally got to understand the dialogue at the end of the movie. Now, the movie was critically acclaimed for a reason. The performances are amazing. Clint Eastwood does a great job of directing. This movie has a huge cast of who's who, 
uh, Kevin Bacon's in it. Lauren Fishburne's in it. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden, Academy Award winner, Marsha Gay Harden is in it. Laura Linney's in it. And a lot of people that you're sort of like, oh, I totally recognize that dude. There's a ton of those people in this. It was really good. I mean, the subject matter is kind of tough because it starts with a guy getting abducted and clearly they don't go into the specifics, but he clearly gets abducted and molested and then escapes. And then it's like, what happens to these guys in their adult life? Uh, it was good. I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, as, as, you know, it's uh, I felt it held up really well. It's a slice of life. Uh, it takes place in Boston. Uh, the performances, like I said, outstandingly good. So Mystic River 2003, if you haven't seen it in a while and it happens to be on cable, worth another watch. Uh, then I watched one from 2009 that I'd never seen before. It's a movie called State of Play. It's a, um, I'll just read you the IMDb, IMDb description here. It says, when a congressional aide is killed, a Washington, D.C. journalist starts investigating the case involving the representative uh, and his old college, uh, who happens to be his old college friend. It stars Russell Crowe, Ben Affleck, Rachel McAdams, Helen Mirren, Jason Bateman, Robin Wright, Jeff Daniels. Like this movie's cast is outstanding. And I was like, how have I never seen this before? It runs a little over two hours. If you're into this kind of like political thriller combined with a murder and the journalists sort of investigating, it was really, really good. Two huge thumbs up for me. If you have a chance to watch State of Play, excellent movie. And then, uh, and then I watched two brand new movies. The first one, it's not a documentary, but it's sort of like a documentary and it's on Amazon. It's called pinball, the man who saved the game. And it's a, so Chris, you know me, I'm mm -hmm. a gambler. You are. Did you know that pinball, the literal pinball arcade game was illegal in most States of America from the 1930s until the 1970s, because it was considered a form of gambling. <laughs> Jeez. Did you know that? No, they probably still no allowed idea. guns, though. <laughs> no kidding. So the movie takes place in the early 70s. And that's basically the premise is this guy who was from a who was like from middle America, who loved pinball. He had found he had a pinball machine in the bar where he went to college. He was good at pinball. He moves to New York and he's like, how come there are no pinball machines here? And then he finds a pinball machine in an in a, like a porno movie, adult bookstore, theater kind of thing. And he just like, just goes into the lobby and he plays a pinball. He never does any of the porno stuff. And then the porno shop gets busted because they have a pinball machine. They don't get busted for porno. They get busted for pinball. And the guy can't believe the atrocity of like, why would this happen? And so it's based loosely on a true story about this guy who was a journalist, again, another movie about journalist, who uh, basically finds himself in in um, partnership with a with the pinball manufacturers who are trying to overturn the law in the 1970s in New York City about the pinball ban and having it overturned because they're like, dude, it's not gambling. It's just entertainment. And the movie was really entertaining. I had a lot of fun with it. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's uh, again, I think this one was on Amazon. I spent a lot of time on Amazon the last couple of weeks. Uh, it. I mean, it's not going to win any Oscars, but it was fun. It was a fun movie. I really, I really liked it. And then the last movie, and I can't speak highly enough about this movie. It literally dropped on Amazon this week. It's the Oscar winner from last year, The Whale, starring Brendan oh, Fraser. Interesting. Directed by Darren Aronofsky, and um, it stars Brendan Fraser, who won an Oscar. It still, it stars Hong Chow, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. This movie. Outstanding. It's the best movie I've seen in a long time. I mean, wow. Barbie was pretty great, but this movie was pretty great, too. Uh, you know how sometimes with the Oscars, Chris, they're like, we gave this guy an Oscar because of his body of work. We robbed him three years ago and we're making up for it. Right. And you always sort of feel like, yeah, I didn't really deserve it for that movie. Trust me, there's no makeup going on here. Pardon me. There's no makeup Oscar going on here. There's tons of makeup going on here. Brendan Fraser was outstanding. He was at his absolute best. This movie is fantastic. His performance deserved all the accolades it got. This movie's great. What I didn't realize was it's adapted from a stage play. So it all takes place in Brendan Fraser's apartment. And there's only like five characters in the whole thing. But it is great. It runs almost two full hours. And 
by the end, if you have a heart, you'll be crying your eyes out. This movie was great. I can't say enough good things about it. I've been waiting for it to come out on a streaming service because it, it was released almost a calendar year ago. And I'm kind of surprised it's taken this long to come to home. But I watched it last night and I can't say enough good things about this. If you haven't seen The Whale, do yourself a favor. Carve out two hours and watch it. It was outstanding. So five strong movies for me this week. No documentaries this time around, but check out The Whale. Interestingly, interestingly, last week my wife was said to me, she's like, I'm so sick of watching all these old movies that you make me watch all the time. I want to watch something new. So she put on the streamers and she put on The Whale. And I watched it. I watched it last week. So unlike you, I I didn't like it so much. So I thought Brandon uh, Fraser's performance was fantastic. I thought he was great in it. But I thought the movie sucked. And I didn't like the secondary characters in it. I thought the the daughter and the, the, the wife were poorly written. I thought the actresses that played the parts did the best they could with what they had. But I thought I thought it was I thought their parts were poorly written. I thought the, the movie overall was was poor to me. But I thought his performance was fantastic. Honestly, way, I I do agree was, with you. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I do agree with you a little bit. I felt that the daughter, who people may recognize from Stranger Things. Yep. Yeah, I recognize her. Was not great. I felt she was the weakest link of the movie, mm-hmm. partly because of the material she was provided, but partly because, honestly, she's still very young. She's a young performer. And I I don't think that she was able to keep up with Brendan Fraser, who has had a long time to master his craft. And, like, this was clearly the apex of his career. Like, this is the best thing he's ever done. And yeah, no, anyway, that's just and, my and it felt like a typical Aronofsky film. Like if you look back to the wrestler, you know, when yes. Mickey Rourke goes up on the top rope and jumps off and then it goes white because he's going to die, you know, because of his heart condition. Same thing here, you know, spoiler, sorry. He's going to get up uh, at the end and I think it's pretty out. obvious. Yeah. That's where it's going. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, just, it all felt a little bit contrived to me, but uh, that's that. But anyway, so we mentioned summer vacation. And, and I, I had a really good summer vacation. So one of the things I did was I actually took my kids to see Dude Perfect in Toronto. Derek, do you know who Dude Perfect is? No, is that a movie? No, so it's these guys that do this YouTube stuff. They do these videos. They do like trick shots, right? They shoot basketballs in a nets and they throw these Frisbees and golf shots and stuff like that. So it's all pretty friggin' dumb, <laughs> if you ask me. But... These guys get like 25 million views on every video that they make. It's like crazy. Kids today watch absolute crap. Oh, these kids today with their their Zima soft drinks and their (laughs) Pac-Man video games and their Dan Fogelberg records. (laughs) Anyway, so we're sitting there in the arena and we're watching Dude Perfect do a bunch of dumb stuff. And suddenly I noticed there's a spotlight aimed right at me. And I thought maybe they were about, you know, to introduce, you know, world famous podcaster Chris McBrien. But no, I turn around. One of the Dude Perfect guys is standing beside me. They, I guess he came into the stands to do a trick shot. And so I high fived him. Well, let me tell you, the fact that I high fived a Dude Perfect guy makes me like cool to my kids. All of a sudden, <laughs> I went from being like the lame dad to being like the coolest guy ever because I high five this guy. So, you know. so Chris, let me ask you. Yeah. Have you washed that hand since or are you like preserving it? Like I've touched the guy. That's it. It's got a plastic bag on it. I'm never washing this hand again. Oh, oh I'm going to preserve it so much. And then I'll end up just cutting it off. <laughs> because I hate that stuff so much. All right. Here we go. Here's your dad joke of the week. Uh, so, Derek, so I figured since we're looking at movie sequels this week, it would only be right for me to do a sequel joke. Okay? Sorry, is this a sequel to a joke you've already told? No. No, it's, it's oh. just a movie sequel joke. Okay? Okay. So, Derek, did you hear about the new sequel to the movie The Exorcist? The Exorcist? No, yeah. I have not. In this one, a woman hires the devil to get a priest Uh, I think the censors better uh, take some issue with that one. (laughs) Happy pandemic.
pandemic anniversary. Don't be ridiculous. Okay, well Love then, have I got a show for you? Oh yeah, because I watch the that show so much. I can't wait for you. Oh, that's right up your alley. 30 bags of potato chips and 12 bottles of liquor. So this looks uh, like something that would be up my alley. I'm doing crappy. How you doing? You're like, I'm doing crappy too. I want it to end. I want them all to go to jail. So we need to lock you up for telling that joke. I think that would be best. All right, Derek. So as you know, I'm not always the biggest fan of sequels. You know, and no with all this millennial movie nonsense, like I'm, I'm not a big fan either of like reboots or reimaginings, and I'm just such a grouchy old man. You know, like get off my lawn. That's me, right? But uh, anyway, so so that being said, there's some sequels that I do like. Actually, Yancey and I did a top five list of our favorite movie sequels back in uh, like season three. We on episode sixty six, and um, but anyway, you and I were talking recently. And we thought it might be fun to take a look at sequels that we wish got made, but never did. Mm-hmm. So we each put together a top five list. And as usual, we're going to run down our list going back and forth, starting with number five and working our way to number one. So, but before we get started, like, did you put any parameters on your list, Derek? Well, <clears throat> yes and no. Uh, not even so much the parameters. I just want to talk about this for a minute. So we've already done the tv version of this where we said pick a show where we'd like to see one more season right and i think we also did one where it was pick a tv show we'd like to see rebooted so so we've sort of mined this idea a couple of times already but we haven't done it for movies yet so i thought when we talked about it i thought great let's just close the loop this is the only piece of the puzzle we haven't done yet but when i started to look at movies uh i did a bunch of internet searches i looked at my personal movie collection I realized that there are very few movies in the last 20 years that don't already have sequels. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. There are very few movies that were good that don't already have sequels. It almost seems, well, not almost, it seems like if the movie was even marginally successful, movie studios have found a way to cash in and turn it into intellectual property, IP, and make a sequel. That's true. I mean, Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's the whole thing with theirs, yeah. right? It's all sequels, interconnectivity, and considering they started making money by the boatload, everybody else went, well, we got to do what they're doing. Like, they, they've got the, the golden ticket to making money. Let's do that. And so I found a lot of the movies where I thought this would be a great movie to have a sequel. It already had a sequel. It either had a sequel, it had a direct-to-video or direct-streaming sequel, it had a made-for-TV miniseries sequel, it had a reimagining through a prestige TV. So I wanted to find movies that didn't already have a sequel made or in the works. And by sequel, I mean like anything that spun off from it. It didn't have a spinoff. It didn't have a prestige TV. It didn't have a reimagining. It didn't have a reboot. It didn't have a prequel sequel. None of that stuff. And once I put those parameters in place, man, oh man, this became a very short list (laughs) and a very difficult exercise. And I think you're actually going to probably have a more interesting list than I do, because I'm sure your list doesn't go past 1989. That's, and that's a lot pretty of fair movies, to say. I won this Yeah, yeah I think that's fair to yeah. say. Yeah. A lot of the movies between the 70s and 80s, there was no financial incentive to build a sequel when you could just do an original concept with something completely different. And so I think your list is going to have a lot of really interesting discussion topics. And I do want to just point out, and we mentioned this many times on the show before, we don't know each other's lists. No. But we often send the list to a neutral third party, which – Nine times out of 10 is my wife. And I asked you to send her your list. And then I sent her my list. And she came to me and said, there is one movie that overlaps on both of your lists. Wow. And I said, tell me what the movie is and I'll remove it from my list because I only had one movie from the 1980s on there. Oh, pardon me. I had two movies from the 1980s. And I said, I'll bet you it's one of my movies from the 80s. And she said, you're absolutely right. Chris has this one. I said, okay, I'll remove it from my list. And I pick something else. So when you get to that movie... I want to add my two cents about my idea for a sequel, because that was one of the things we said is it's not so so much just to say, I want to see a sequel. I want you to pitch me your sequel. What do you think it might be about? OK, so so for me, you get five picks plus my bonus pick when you talk about it. But but yeah, right. this was a very in my mind, this was one of our more difficult topics. 
Mm, that's a good point. Okay, so why don't you start us off with your number five sequel that All you right. wish that they made. Derek, what is it? All right. My number five pick is a movie that we, pardon me, I believe you and Nancy discussed on a previous episode of this show. Mm-hmm. It's the movie from 2009, District 9. Oh, that was one of the first movies we ever did. That was back in season one, I think. Yeah. Oh, that was actually, I remember, I, I actually liked that movie. It was pretty good. Yeah, this movie's great. I've probably seen it more than 20, less than 30. Like, I've seen this movie a lot. Maybe not in its entirety, but when it was running on, like, HBO and the various channels, and it came on, I'm like, I'm watching this. Like, it, there's a lot to like about this movie. And it was not something that people expected to do well, and it did very well. It got nominated for four Oscars. Like, come on. Who thinks a sci-fi movie is going to get nominated for Oscar awards? Like, that just doesn't happen. Um, and, uh, like, it was it was nominated for Best Picture. Like, come on. That that just doesn't happen for sci-fi movies very often. So, for those who haven't seen it, the, uh, the premise is that aliens arrive in Johannesburg, um, South Africa, and... Their, their spaceship basically breaks down and they all come down to the to the to Earth and they get put in a, essentially a concentration camp like we don't like you guys. You guys need to be isolated and away you go. And it's a metaphor for racism in South Africa. And it, it, as so many sci fi movies are, it's really a metaphor for something else. But it's fantastic the way they the way they they shot this movie, how it's supposed to be like sort of that real life documentary following around this crew. And the idea is that they're. They're moving all these aliens from where they are because it was just so haphazard over a long period of time to a more controlled environment. And at the same time, the aliens, there's a couple of the aliens who have basically figured out how to get back to their spaceship and fix it and go away and, and figure out how to bring everybody home. And during the course of the movie, the one human person, he gets exposed to a, a biohazard that turns starts turning him into one of these aliens. And at the end of the movie, the human that we've been following has become enough of an alien that he's able to work their technology and he manages to take their escape pod back to the ship and fly the ship away. And there's this promise that we'll come back uh, or no, pardon me. He doesn't leave the, the alien leaves and they say, we'll come back. It'll take a few years. And when we come back, we'll, we'll reverse the transformation. You will no longer be one of us. You will go back to being human. And that's how it ends. Like the guy basically becomes a full-blown alien and he's stuck in this refugee camp and the ship goes away. And it sort of – although the main story is satisfi- satisfactorily concluded, there's this hanging thread. So what I want to see is the three to four years later where the ship comes back. How does this work? What happens? What's happened in the time since they left? Because the the aliens were going to be moving from District 9 – to I believe it's District 10. So hence you call the sequel District 10. Why would you not? Now, again, a big part of why this movie was successful is the metaphor behind the science fiction of racism. And I think the way this movie works when you make a sequel is you need to lean into that a little bit still. But I think enough time has passed in our real world that there's not to say racism has gone away, but I think we're starting to see more about the disparity between economics and social classes. You have this super rich and the very poor. And I think that's that's the key of how you make a sequel to, to District 9 work. You still have the racism in there, but you make it more about the economic struggle between those who have and those who don't. And of course, you bury that in the, the metaphor of sci-fi. So my number five pick, District 9. Absolutely. Really is a good pick. Okay, so uh, for my number five, I was talking with my youngest son. He's 10. And he was asking me, he's like, what are you doing on your next podcast, daddy? And so I mentioned, we're going to, you know, we're doing these sequels, you know, sequels we wish they would make. And he didn't miss a beat. He's like, School of Rock 2. And so he and I talked our way through it. We were sitting around a campfire at the time. We were up at the trailer. And together, my son and I came up with a plot for the sequel for School of Rock. And um, and he said he's going to email it to Jack Black. So we'll have to see how that goes. But anyway, here's the plot. So the plot is the kids have all grown up and they're in a rock band together. But, you know, in a world of like hip hop and like Taylor Swift, they're having trouble getting gigs. 
you know, because they play rock music, right? So they find Dewey Finn and they get him to be their band manager. And, you know, he knows that rock is like losing popularity. So instead of doing paid concerts, he gets him to do some like charity gigs, you know, like raising awareness, of like social issues. And then they get more and more popular. And finally, he gets them a spot in Live Aid 2. Now, I, I realized there was sort of a follow-up to Live Aid in when they did Live 8 in 2005 for the G8 Summit. But in this movie, it's actually Live Aid 2. Okay? And, and the band plays there, and Dewey Finn joins them on stage for their final number, which is, of course, Teacher's Pet from the original film. So, anyway... This is not only a sequel that my son and I wish got made. We actually went ahead and did the treatment for the film, you know. So, so I may or may not actually write the full screenplay and send it off to Jack Black. But that's my number five. So, on to your number four sequel that you wish got made. Nice. I want to just point out (laughs) one of the things with these sequels, and we didn't discuss this, was no. And this is probably a question that maybe you and I should answer before we move on. Do you want to see a sequel made within the couple of years of when? So let's say for argument's sake, the movie came out in 1985. Do you wish there was a sequel made in 1987 or do you want to see a sequel now? I think we should address that movie by movie. I agree. I I think so, yeah. The District 9 that I just talked about, I think the sequel I wanted had to happen within the next three or four years. Yeah. Because that was the parameters set within the context of the movie. But the one I'm about to go to right now, Mm -hmm. I think... Although the movie came out in 1998, I think the sequel needs to be now. So my number four pick is The Big Lebowski, oh, wow. which is another movie you and I did just this year because yeah. it celebrates a milestone anniversary. So in The Big Lebowski, part of a very small part of the plot is that Julianne Moore's character wants to have a child and Jeff Bridges ends up being the father of that child or what we assume. Uh, and that's that's a very minor part of the plot, but that happens. What I want to see as the sequel to The Big Lebowski is we'll call it The Little Lebowski, where the dude's child has now become an adult and his mother has become a little more transparent about who his who the father really was. And I mean, the child can be male or female, depending on what you think is going to work better for the purposes of the plot. But for my examples here, let's just assume it's a it's a male. But it, it doesn't have to be. So you've got the little Lebowski who now finds out who his father really is and looks him up, finds out about him. Tell me. And then so now we get to see Jeff Bridges as the dude 30 years later. What's happened and how does this affect the child whose life he has not been a part of and who has grown up under the tutelage of Julianne Moore's character who seemed pretty eclectic? and worldly and wealthy. So how do you have a child who grew up in that context meet the stoner dude father and how does that affect the perspective? And I think this could make for a lot of interesting comedy, but I think it could also make for a lot of interesting social commentary, which again sort of leans back on what I was just talking about, about District 9, District 10. So again, maybe not the sequel that you might expect but i think that if you get the uh the coen brothers on board again and you got jeff bridges on board again and you got the same you know writing directing starring team this movie might actually have something to say in 2023 that can just build on the things that they were saying in 1998 i think this movie could be great so i want to see a sequel to the big lebowski and i think you just call it the little lebowski and people go to see it (laughs) for no other reason than they love the first one. Let's see what the second one's going to do. Nope. That's a good one. I like your title too. Okay. So my number four, one of the most beloved movie movies of the 80s, maybe even of all of Gen X, period, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, I wish they'd make a sequel. Only now, Ferris Bueller is grown up. You know, he's got a family and he's got an important job. He's the CEO of Abe Froman Enterprises. <laughs> <laughs> and he's overworked and he needs a break. So you've got Ferris Bueller's day off work. So not only does he take the day off work, 
just to relive his youth for a day. But it allows him, and, and, and I guess by proxy, the audience, to be nostalgic for the 80s. And nostalgic for this movie, too. So I think it could be updated for today's audience. I, I think it'd be a hit. Um, I know Matthew Broderick is like 60 years old now, but he looks like he's still in his 30s. So I think he could pull this off. And Alan Ruck would definitely be back. Mia Sarah basically retired from acting about 10 years ago. But uh, it's a perfect opportunity for her to make a big, like a big comeback. And she looks amazing too. Like I mean, she's she in her mid fifties. Oh my god, she is dropped. She's dead. always beautiful, beautiful. Still, let me tell you, even so, with the short hair, which oh, doesn't do yeah. her any favors, she still looks great. I think this could work, Caveman. I really do. So, Ferris Bueller's Day Off Work is my number four. What is your number three? Okay, hang on. We're gonna back up because this and, was our overlap pick. So let me ask you: Your sequel to Ferris Bueller's mm -hmm. does it take place now? Or does it take place maybe in the mid two thousands? Ooh, I don't know. I have to like I'd have to like piece out the timeline and stuff, but I think it's when he's older and has kids, so maybe So at least twenty years, years later, yeah. let's say? Yeah, yeah, I think okay. so. So this it's funny enough, you know sometimes where, you know, you're with your friends, maybe you have a few drinks, or you're sitting around a campfire, or you're out at a lake, or you're in the bar or whatever, and you start just like, you know trash talking stuff mm. this is one of the things that has come up so many times with my peer group where they're like hey if you were going to do a sequel to ferris bueller's day off what do you think it would be about mm. and that says a lot about my nerdy friends <laughs> so we have sort of come up with two ideas on how this sequel could work okay so the first one was ferris bueller becomes the, an educator he becomes a principal or a program coordinator or something of that nature and then he becomes the person who has to catch the kids that are skipping school. But that sequel, I think, only works if it's done within the next 10 years of the original. Be because I think the way that education has changed and the way the school has changed and the online learning, like I just think if it takes place past 2000, some of what you're trying to accomplish just doesn't make sense. There's not as much comedy there. Like people skip school, you're like, who gives a crap? Mm -hmm. So that was one possibility that we kicked around for a long time. But I think that sort of just retells the story of the original and you sort of feel cheated by the sequel. So we've been updating it and we sort of go down your road and it's like Ferris Bueller now works for some sort of big company. And it, it's like, is he's the CEO or is he just a mid-level manager of some sort? And I think what it becomes is Ferris Bueller's day off work just yes. like you had suggested. Yes. But I think it's more he needs to impart his knowledge on a younger generation of who who like we need to work, we need to be, get ahead, we need to give this job 90 hours a week and he's like whoa 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 whoa. You guys need to understand that unpaid work is not cool. You need to take a day off on the company time. You need to figure out how to do this. And I think the way this works for for the way I see it is he mentors this younger generation of like, here's how you skirt the system. Here's how you get a day off without tipping your hat to the bosses and the CEOs because they're, you know, these are people that are employed full time. So they need to still collect a paycheck without actually working. And he, it basically becomes like sort of an anti-work kind of movie where he's like, I'm not saying you don't need to have a job. But you need to chillax a little bit. And he sort of mentors those those younger people on, you know, and maybe it's a bunch of people over the course of a few weeks where they come to him and say, like, dude, I need a day off. My favorite baseball team's in town. I need to take the afternoon off to go to the game. He's like, here's what you do. And he coaches them. and He teaches them. And then I think that I think that's sort of the heart of the movie. And then obviously your climax is then Ferris needs a day off and it's not happening. And all these people he's mentored and coached go out of their way to cover for him while he gets his day off to do something ridiculous and over the top. Maybe it's a, you know, Cameron's in town for the first time in six months and they need to go and do this thing. And then you bring in the original cast and all the rest of that. But yeah, I think there is definitely room for a Ferris Bueller sequel. Cool. All right. Anyway, so uh, that was I my appreciate it. Okay, so what is your number three? My number sequel? three, yet another movie we've done on this podcast. Oh, cool. 1998, Out of Sight, starring George Clooney hmm. and Jennifer Lopez. 
Now, this is a movie where the sequel needs to happen very close to when this came. Yeah. So at the end of this, for people who haven't seen this movie, at the end of this movie, George Clooney gets captured by the marshal, played by Jennifer Lopez, and she has to bring him to prison. And in the very last scene of the movie, he gets put into uh, like a, a, a one of those armored cars where you transport prisoners. And Samuel Jackson's sitting there. And George Clooney was like, hey, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, I was supposed to leave yesterday or the day before, but the marshal figured that if we both traveled together, this would be a good idea. And George Clooney's like, okay, I, I, sure, why not? And then Samuel Jackson's character says something like, I've escaped from prison like a dozen times. And then he, she goes, no, maybe we, maybe we have something to talk about. And it sort of s sets it up that Lopez's character has clearly put George Clooney's character with Samuel Jackson so that they will escape because part of this torrid love affair they've had is, is perpetuated upon this, this idea that he's an escaped fugitive and she's a law enforcement officer. And, and what they're doing is like sort of a taboo with the cop and the criminal. And I think you have this movie come out a couple of years later and it's basically Clooney and, and Samuel Jackson escape from custody. And then you have the whole out of sight plot happen again, where it's like, she's chasing him and he's sort of trying to not get captured, but he is trying to get captured so that they can be together. And then you introduce the Samuel Jackson component of it. I think this would be great. Pardon me. I think this would have been great. I think now all of these performers are way too old that you couldn't do a sequel now. Because you'd have to set it now, given their ages. But had this sequel come out in 2001 or 2002, only a few years after this movie, I think it would have been a hit. Unfortunately, I don't think Out of Sight really found an audience until many years after it came out. And by then, the, you know, all the performers had moved on to bigger things. But this was a sequel I really would have liked to have seen is uh, a sequel to Out of Sight from 1998. Nice. I remember doing that. Michael Keaton was in that, too, right? He, he could have yeah, he had a small part. Yeah. And he was in Jackie Brown playing the same yeah. character, which was based on another book by Elmore Leonard, which Out of Sight was based on as well. All right, my number three. I, I mentioned Ferris Bueller's Day Off, one of the most beloved Gen X movies. But another one that ranks right up there in most people's minds, I think, from Gen X is The Goonies. Who doesn't love The Goonies? Uh, I, I, love I, the, I don't love The Goonies. Sorry, dude. You don't, yeah, well, you're... Not a big fan. You're, you're wrong. I love that movie. And although I've seen the movie a bazillion times, I learned something new about it, which is amazing in itself. You know, what with my capacity for useless Gen X trivia and all. But you, Derek, you know the scene in The Goonies when Chunk goes into the walk-in freezer in the basement because he smells ice cream? I do not. I've only seen the movie a couple of times oh, and man. I did not like it. Okay. For everybody else that's listening to the podcast that, that knows the Goonies and loves it. There's that scene when Chunk goes into the basement and he goes into the walk-in cooler and he gets locked in there and the door closes behind him. Like he's locked in and there's a stiff in the freezer. He's easy. It's a stiff. The actor that plays the stiff is the same actor that played the scout leader in Jaws. Who sure. rose up to the, the the guy the kids in the pond, and he's and the shark bites off his leg. Same guy. But what do the kids say now? They like, they're like, I was today years old when I learned this. That's me. So, but anyway, okay. So the Goonies, the sequel. The kids are growing up. They still live in Astoria, Oregon. Mikey, uh, he, he he's like he's taken over the deed for his mom's house, so he lives there, right? And he goes up in the attic for something and he finds an, a, another hidden map in one of his dad's old picture frames. And he decides he's going to like reform the Goonies. And they, they're going to head out in search of treasure. And Francis and Jake Fratelli are still the bad guys. They're after the treasure too. So the only thing I guess different is maybe now they can all use like different technology to help them find the treasure. I don't know, like Google Maps or something like that. <laughs> I'm a crotchety old man, so... I, don't, I definitely need help developing this script, but uh, clearly. Um, but I, I, I still feel like the original actors are all still available for this. Like, um, Kehui Kwan, he, he, just, he just won an Oscar, right? Same year as Brandon Fraser. Yeah. So I think all of them are available, maybe except for John Matusak, played Sloth. I remember, I remember a few years ago, Derek, I was in this Facebook group, and someone was, had posted about John Matusak's death. 
and I overdosed on painkillers. And I was like, well, you know, he was probably in a lot of pain because of all the, the gross disfiguration. And people just freak on my I was say, people probably jumped all over. <laughs> oh you my that. god. They're like, that was makeup, man. He wasn't really disfigured. You know, it's really hard to convey sarcasm online, I guess, sometimes. But anyway, so I think there's been a lot of talk for years about a possible Goonies sequel, but uh, nothing's come of it yet. But I say, let's get it done. So it's the Goonies is my number three. What is your number two? All right. This is my only pick on my list from the 1980s since you took oh. my first Bueller, but cool. I got to take it. I got a bonus pick anyway. I'm going to go with a movie that was literally on TV last night that I watched again. Cool. The Lost Boys from 1987. Ooh, that's a good pick. All right. So this is one of those ones where I don't feel it needs to be an absolute literal direct sequel. I don't necessarily think any of the original cast needs to be in the sequel, but it would certainly help for to tie them together. And the way I envision this is it's you really play on the title. So the, the original movie, The Lost Boys, obviously it's talking about uh, it's got a couple of things going on and it's talking about they're lost in the sense of these young kids have no purpose. Right. They're 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 wanderers. They don't have any direction. But I think it also plays a little bit into the Peter Pan of it all. The Lost Boys, the idea that the kids that never grow up well, when you're a vampire, you no longer age. So so there's that part of the title from the original movie. So I think you lean into that a little bit, but you add the more modern element and you incorporate. So the whole idea with the vampire myth is that a vampire does not cast a reflection into a mirror. So what if you extend that and say the vampire also cannot be captured on video? So now you have vampires that can't be on social media. They can't be on Instagram. They can't be on TikTok. They can't be on Facebook. They can't be on YouTube. They are lost. They are no longer a part of what makes society work today. They don't have an internet presence because they can no longer be on social media or the internet. They are lost. They are lost to time. You can no longer see them except in real life. So you still get all that usual crap about they're related to the Peter Pan, the Lost Boys. They don't age. They're still related to they're lost and aimless. They don't know what they want to do. But now you also add in that lost to social media and the internet and the technological elements of what society is today. And you work all of that into a new vampire story. And we've had a hundred different vampire movies in the last 50 years, but this is not something we've seen before. It is not something I've ever seen before is the idea of teenagers who feel their identity is super tied to having an online presence that become, you know, they're, they're regular human breathing people. They become vampires and that part of their life is now gone. They are lost from the internet. And I think if it's done right, this could really, really, really work well. And I, like I said, I don't think you need to have any of the original cast in there. No, you don't, you could just for nostalgia and to tie it together. But I think the title would bring people into the movie I think the fact that people know it's going to be about vampires bring people into the movie. I don't think you need to have Joel Schumacher, the director, attached to it. I don't think you need to have any of these other people attached to it. But I think this could be a really interesting new imagination of how to tell a vampire story in 2023 in a way that it's never been done before. And hmm. so I don't know if it would be a direct sequel or if it would be a reimagining. I don't know if you'd call it The Lost Boys 2. I don't know if you'd just call it The Lost Boys 2023. But I'd be interested in seeing how this would play out. Hmm. I like it. That's a good idea. Okay, I'm going to go way back because, you know, that's what I do. Back to the 80s. Back to these big trouble in little China. <laughs> one of my hands down, one of my favorite 80s movies. I wish they'd made a sequel to it. And and, and I get think, another one we did on this podcast. Yeah, we did. And I, I think it's like a little too late to do it now. It would have been cool to have the sequel like just, like you know, years ago, you know, like right after it came out because at the end of the movie there's that big ape creature on the back of jack burton's truck so if there was a sequel it would go maybe one of two ways i guess the movie either opens with the creature trying to attack jack burton and then like jack fights it off and i don't know goes on another adventure or the creature like jumps off the truck and starts wreaking havoc in little china and then 
Jack and, and Wang have to go back and save the day again. So I, either way, I think there's definitely a sequel there that could have been made. And I think the way that John Carpenter ended the original, like I said, definitely a chance, you know, for more of the story. So I think Jack would still be that stereotypical American, you know, brash and egotistical and ignorant and dumb and, and just lucky. And um, maybe this time, like Wang could be more of the hero, you know, and it, it'd be interesting if they actually maybe they made it now it might actually work even better as I think about this because there's a lot more opportunities for Asian actors now than there was in the 80s. You know, like maybe you could look at like Wang and he has a son and it's like that uh, Simu Liu, you know, like, like or even the, your good friend Paul Sung Young Lee, he could be in it. You know, he's Korean, but Simu Liu played his son in Kim's Convenience and he's Chinese, so... Maybe that all works. Maybe they could do even do it now. I don't know. I, I, I originally thought this had to be done back in the 80s, but maybe they could do this now. I don't know. I, I definitely think it, 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 it should have had a sequel. It never did. But uh, I don't know. I guess I wish one got made. So that's my number two. So your number one movie. Yeah. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, so my number one movie, yet another one we've done on this podcast. Oh, nice. Four of my five picks were done on this podcast. The Professional, Leon the Professional mm. from 1994. So this is, uh, this you was written like and directed. I love this movie. Written and directed by Luc Besson, who also did The Fifth Element. Uh, the main star, the actual professional. So the professional in the title is an assassin. He's a professional assassin. Uh, his name is Leon. He's played by Jean Renault, French actor. It also stars Gary Oldman, Natalie Portman, Danny Aiello. Uh, again, I love this movie and uh, it's a fan favorite. When I used to work at a blockbuster, like we could not keep this movie on the shelf. It was rented out nonstop. Uh, we did, as I mentioned, we re we reviewed it on this podcast. It was, I want to say Natalie Portman's first movie or one of her first movies. She's very, very young in this movie. And uh, spoilers for those who maybe have never seen it, but at the end of the movie, the professional Leon is killed. But Natalie Portman's character lives. So she's a 12 year old girl that he has sort of, taken into his custody as she's in danger and he started to teach her to be an assassin and in the the end of the movie she goes to the character played by Danny Aiello who had been uh the the basically the manager for the professional assassin he had been the one sending him out on hits and collecting all the money and in the course of the movie the professional literally had there's a scene where he says to him if something ever happens to me i want you to take all the money that i've made doing your assassinations and give it to this little girl when she shows up in the restaurant and says like i'm here because leon sent me here and i want to work as an assassin and danny Aiello dismisses her out of hand like get lost he basically doesn't want to give her the money doesn't want to acknowledge who she is there's a little bit of a question in the original about like whether or not Danielle's character had actually already spent the money the professional had earned or if he just didn't want to give it to her. Again, it's ambiguous. So I see this movie being a sequel to take place now, like 30 years later. Mm. Natalie Portman's character has grown up. Whether or not she has continued to work as an assassin, has found work and continued to work as an assassin, you know, let's assume she's at least still capable. But I, I see this movie working where she has behind the scenes been trying to learn more about Danny Aiello's character and his finances. And you find out like he's maybe like this crime boss or maybe he becomes this crime boss through the 90s and 2000s. I'm thinking like to parallel real life because I know she went to Harvard. You have you have Matilda's character maybe grows up to be a lawyer or an investigator of some sort and in her spare time, she's been following along with what's going on with Danielle's character. And she's always wanted this revenge, but never been able to figure it out. And then you have it like she decides she wants to have a real life. Maybe she meets someone. She's like falling in love. I want to have a family. But she knows until this revenge happens, she can never move on with her life. And then you have this story where she maybe physically assassinates people as as the professional part two. But maybe if she's a lawyer or a litigator, she also attacks them through their business interests and and takes their money. And it's like this complete assassination of the character, the finances and the literal life of these people. I think there's been a lot of Internet discussion about, like, what could a sequel of The Professional look like? And I mean, Natalie Portman won an Oscar like she she's a box office drive. Yep. She decides she ever wanted to do this. People would go see it. And I think this has become a fan favorite over the years. 
Danny Aiello is still alive. Have him come back into it. He doesn't have to have a big part. Uh, you know, cast a bunch of young, young and up and comers to sort of be the supporting cast. I think this movie could really work. And this is something that I've always, you know, we talk about like what, you know, the whole point of this show. What's a sequel you absolutely really want to just indulge in and watch? This is the sequel I would pay good money to see. I want to see a sequel to The Professional from 1994. Nice. All right. That's a good one. Okay. My number one. It's funny. I was talking about my number five with my youngest son, who's 10. And my number one associated with my other son, who's 14. Because I, I mentioned I was doing this this topic for the show. And immediately he said, Daddy, you got to do Remo Williams' The Adventure Continues. And I was like, Shocking. yes, I'm what shocked a shock. I know he knows me. So the sequel to this one, though, should have been made around 1987. You know, yeah. so of course, the original bombed. So Remo Williams, the adventure begins, never became anything more than Remo Williams one and done. Right. You know, I love this movie. No secret there. I've mentioned it numerous times here on the podcast. So, Derek, you and I reviewed this movie back on episode 147, back in our fifth season. Wow. So uh, you recall how much I like this movie. I do. I enjoyed you, it. I mean, you liked you, it, but you did. I don't think you really shared my enthusiasm for the film. So it's, it's funny, though. You know how you do the little drops where you do all the snippets of our mm -hmm. previous shows? Mm -hmm. it, like, you know, so I've been listening to our older shows and I listened to one just this week where the little drop was snippets of us talking about Remo Williams. Mm -hmm. And I think in it, you have me quoted as something like this movie's everything a 12 year old boy would want in a movie. And I was like, <laughs> and it made me laugh. Yeah. So the fact that you picked it as your sequel, I'm like, of course you picked it as your sequel. <laughs> I, I think it should have got a sequel. You know, if, if, if for no other reason than the title is Remo Williams, the adventure begins. So it did not do well at the box office back in 1985. It finished in 62nd place that year at the domestic US box office. It only took in $14 million, had a budget of 40 million. Oof. So that's like, that's why there were no sequels. Yeah, it lost like 65% of its cost. But the thing is, it did get a cult following on VHS. So for that reason alone, like I think it should have got a sequel. It should, it should have been viable, but I love this movie. I will always love this movie. And damn it, I want a sequel. So, Remo Williams' The Adventure continues, I think, should, should have been great. I mean, it can't be done now. This is, again, something had to be done back then. I mean, Fred Ward's dead. You know, I mean, like, they couldn't yeah. have done this. But, but back then, I would have loved to have seen it. But anyway, so that's our top five sequels that we wish that they would have made. And I think now it's time to have some fun with Caveman. Derek, I have a question for you. What do you think of when I say subtitles in porn films yeah you know because subtitles usually refer to the the on-screen text right usually when the actors yeah. are speaking a language other than english or you know whatever so yep. but the thing is subtitles can also refer to the second half of a movie title oh that's fair okay yeah. like remo williams subtitle the adventure. The begins. adventure begins exactly. All so, right. Okay. So here's how our trivia works tonight. Here's how our our fun with Gabe Man segment works. I'm going to give you the year and the subtitle. You name the sequel. It's easier than you think. It sounds like Ooh. complicated, but it's um, it, it's actually easy. So I'm going to start you with a super easy one. Okay. The year is 1984, and the subtitle is Electric Boogaloo. Oh, that's uh, Breaking Two. Super easy, okay? 1997, Cruise Control. Uh, that would be Speed 2. 1998, Back to the Miners. Ooh. Um, oh, I know this. Uh, was that uh, Major League? Uh, was it Part 2 or Part 3? Part 3, Major League 3. Yes, it was just called Major League Back to the Miners, but it was Major Sir League Scott Three. Bakula. Yeah. All right, 1993, Part Due. Oh, that was one of those spoof movies. It was either Naked Gun or Hot Shots. I think, I think it was Hot Shots. Yes, 
Okay, 1995, When Nature Calls. Uh, that was, um, oh, it's that stupid Jim Carrey one. What was it called? It was um, Ace Ventura. Okay, 2009, The Squeakquel. This. Oh, that was um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yes, see, you're doing so well. This is great. Okay, 1982. It was the subtitle was just the sequel. Hmm. Sorry, what was the year again? 1982. 1982. The sequel. 82? Yep, 82. The sequel. Uh Oh. I should know this. Uh the sequel. Airplane Airplane so 2, the, the sequel. Yes. Yeah. All right. 1991, The Smell of Fear. Oh. Sorry, what was the year again? 1991. 91, The Smell of Fear. Uh, I, I know it, but I can't think of it. I don't know. <laughs> It's Naked Gun, two and a half, The Smell of Fear. Oh, there's the Naked Gun. I just yeah. said that a minute ago. Uh, All right, 1993, Back in the Habit. Wow, that doesn't sound familiar. I have no idea. Sister Act 2. Sure. Back in the Habit. Okay, 1988, On the Rocks. On the Rocks. What sequel is on be, the road? Oh, is it um, that stupid Dudley Moore one? Uh, Arthur 2? The first movie was fantastic. It was not fantastic. It was fantastic. It was The, the sequel was awful. Okay, 1998, Golden Receiver. Uh, oh, was that one of the ones where the dog played sports? It was um, Golden... No, it was like Golden Buddy or something. It was um, Air Bud. Ooh. Yes. It was Air Bud, Golden Receiver. Okay. There it is. 2010, Money Never Sleeps. Wow. Uh, what ooh. subtitle was Money Never Sleeps? Hmm. Sequel. Oh, was that um, oh, Greed is Good? What was that one called? That was... Uh, was that uh, Wall Street? Yes. All right. Two more. 2012. The subtitle was 3DD or 3DD. Showgirls. No, it was Piranha. Piranha 3DD. It was in 3D, <laughs> but of course they were like exploiting, you know big boobs showgirls 3 ddd yeah. i'd watch yeah exactly. just saying just throwing that out there and the last one 1987 the subtitle was simply two but it's t-o-o -O. oh like also like yes. teen wolf also <laughs> as you know around here we always like to say teen wolf also so you there you go. So you did really good. You only I got really one good wrong. On those. You did way awesome. better than See? I expected. I know. See, it, it sounds like when you when you hear it on paper, it sounds like it's hard, but it's actually kind of easy, kind of fun to do. I still think Showgirls Three Triple D mm. should be a thing. So people out there who have money and making movies, just throwing that out there. I'd pay money to see that. Yeah, I guess the girl from Saved by the Bell just didn't have the three double Ds, so it didn't work. Okay, so next time, Derek, well, what do you think we do? Should we do a movie celebrating a milestone anniversary? Do you have anything lined up? Like, what do you want to do? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's time to go back to the anniversary yeah. movies. And I think uh, a movie that uh, is celebrating an anniversary, you know, uh, well, I mean, celebrating anniversary this year is the Harrison Ford film the fugitive which came out in 1993 Ooh, 30 so years yeah. 30 years nice. i think most of our listeners have probably seen this movie already mm -hmm. I, i'd kind of be shocked if they haven't it was a big movie in 93 it has had a tremendous life on cable it is on all the time ford has never been better tommy lee jones won an oscar for this film it is a it was based on an old tv show from the 60s it was based on an old yeah. TV show, which I'm sure most of our viewers have never seen a single never episode seen of. Never seen it, but didn't even know. They did yeah. a reboot of The Fugitive in the mid-90s. Uh, 
shortly after this movie came out. A movie or a TV show? TV show. Really? It, it was. Uh, it had. It starred the guy from Wings, which we could talk about on the next episode. Mm. But, um, but anyway, The Fugitive, 1993, Harrison Ford, a fantastic movie with a terrible sequel. But we'll just worry about the 1993 version of The Fugitive, Harrison Ford. We'll come back. We'll review it next week. I think there's a lot of good things to say about this. It's got a few nitpicks. Uh, you know, a lot of side trivia going on with this one. And uh, yeah, I think this is just going to be a fun, great movie mm, to watch. I like it. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know anybody who has seen this movie who hasn't liked it. So let's come back next week and talk all, right. all about it. So next week we will go back 30 years. We will watch The Fugitive from 1993 and we'll review it here next week right here on the show and until then this is chris mcbrien on behalf of myself and of course derek meyer is saying thanks for listening to our show this is pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations thanks for listening to pop goes your world you can contact chris and derek at popgoesyourworld.com Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.